Pastor Bill and Connie Bennett with us uh, from Cape Town, South Africa, and sometimes meant Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, good friends of our church for many years. And uh, Tuesday night, ministering at the Supernatural School of Ministry that we have. Wednesday night was just a night of impartation and lots of fun. And this weekend we had a sort of a leadership weekend, and it was just so good, so refreshing, so wonderful, so good. And uh, so we are thrilled to have Bill and Connie Bennett with us this weekend, an amazing gift to the body of Christ. He has planted so many different churches. I Really, I, I say this as, as a friend, a leader among leaders, I believe. And uh, we will be receiving a love offering for Bill and Connie this morning, so be asking God. A little bit later, we'll be receiving it. Ask God what you are to give and to bless them abundantly. So, Bill, come on up. Let's welcome Bill. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Thank you. Really um, cool. I mean, it's really, it's wonderful. I'm, we've been here like, like a week. I mean, I've. Wow, it's like home. It's like being home. I mean, really, I'm, I just love it here. Love being part of your lives and your journeys and stories. And yeah, it's a whole lot more coming. Yeah, a whole lot more coming. Just keeps getting better. So it gets me out of bed in the morning. At least part of what gets me out of bed in the morning. But really, it's just, we've had such a great time. How many were at the School of Supernatural Ministry on Tuesday night? Was that fun? This guy doing some stuff. Wednesday night. Who got gassed? <laughs> Who got gassed? Huh? Well, he is gas, right? That's what I'm heliumed. We got heliumed. <laughs> so, I sure love Rifle. With a name like that, he shoots straight, doesn't he? He's locked and loaded. That dude's locked and loaded. I mean, I love that man. He's South African, too. Doesn't he talk great? Doesn't he sound good? Nicole. That's got to be the greatest accent on the planet. I've lived there 25 years, and I still can't even imitate it. I mean, my kids, I'm serious. I mean, I've been living there 25 years. I, I can't even imitate it. It's like, it's supernatural. It's just... You know, only the select few. It's like the 144,000 or something. I don't know what it is. It's just, <laughs> I mean, I can imitate the Aussies, the English, but a South African, man. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> Maybe I need to come to one of your classes, Rifle. But uh, it's uh, Doug and Cindy, you guys are gems, absolute treasures. Really, you are my, some of my dearest friends. You are heroes of the faith, really. And just thank you for you know, allowing us to be a part of your lives. Thank you for many years ago coming over to South Africa in like the mid-1990s, you know, and uh, allowing God to put our hearts together. And uh, it's <laughs> true. And uh, so it was just been fantastic. And just really, I mean, I, this weekend was amazing. Get to meet a whole lot more of you and connect. And I mean, you're just all fun, you know, and all different, which is great, you know. Wayman, 
You guys are really you and Barb and that house. <laughs> Just you guys are home. You really are. Thank you for your, your you are a servant leader. And that, that is probably one of the greatest compliments you can ever be paid. Jesus was the greatest of servants. And what he serves and the creativity and the life and the encouragement that flows out of that. And how many people are impacted and empowered. You see, there's a difference between a leader who serves and a servant leader. Yeah. A lot of leaders who serve, but not all leaders are servants in the sense of servant leadership. See, a leader will often serve based upon your contribution to them. But a servant leader is someone who serves as a contribution to you. Yeah, that was good. That, 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 that'll preach. You can hunt that dog right there. He's going to just chase out some quail and knock them down. And... Ah, that's it. You didn't get it? Oh, you got my good side? Yeah. We got to... I'm looking at that clock. It's just not stopping for me. It's just we got to die. Listen, I want to mention this before I start. I really feel like I need to make sure I get to deliver at least at least a bulk of this. Because I really believe this is it's this is from the Holy Spirit for you in this season. And and uh, and I will will I'll stay as long as necessary to pray for everybody for anything. I do want to pray for people that have chronic illnesses. I had a chronic illness for 20 year over 20 years. Uh, a chronic, incurable bleeding condition that I was healed. I've been healed for four years now. So I'm, uh, when, you, when you have been healed, when you have a testimony, you are contagious. You have been infected. You are viral. That's what, that's what testimonies are infectious. They really are. And I'm infected with healing for chronic diseases. And so I want to pray for people with chronic, but I just want to dive into this and we'll have time and and if we, if we get, like, close to 12, don't get nervous, okay? I mean, we'll, we'll be out before, before 4. But, um, um, no, I'm, so I'm, it's like 35 minutes. Gosh, it just won't slow it down. Slow that clock down. Um, anyway, in January of uh, this year, January, God, in South Africa, God gave um, us a word about 2014 being the year of open door. It was a word that God gave to us as a body, as a community of believers in Cape Town, South Africa. Little did I realize that really was a word uh, that was being heard and being declared throughout the body of Christ. I didn't know that. We did not know that at that time. If you go on, whether it's, you know, Cindy Jacobs, Mahesh Chabda, many other prophetic ministries, apostolic movements and leaders, you'll find that interesting enough, if you study the Hebrew calendar, this is the year 5774, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and the Hebrew calendar, that number corresponds to open door. It's just the coolest thing. And anyway, so found that out. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a real big deal. It's a real big deal to God on, on several levels. Uh, an open door. I mean, it cost him a whole lot. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. Then he goes on to say something else. It's very peculiar. He says this, after he says, I'm the door, he says, if anyone enters through me, he will go in and out and find pasture. That sounds a little strange, like, wait a minute, you're going to go in and out of Jesus? That's what we tend to think. We think linear. 
kind of in and out. We know that's not true. It's not what he means by that. If anyone enters through me, he is that door. As we enter him, we go in and then we go out to find our pasture. There's something that's supposed to happen after we enter that door. We go in and we go out and we find pasture. We enter Him and there are promises. There's a pasture. There's a, there's a land. There's an atmosphere. There's an ecosystem. There's an environment with your name and address on it. And so, like I said, an open door is like a real big deal. And which implies that open door has a, a purpose beyond itself. What's the purpose of an open door? Entry. Going through it. Getting on the other side. Finding out what's there. But even entry is not the goal. Entry is not the purpose. The purpose of entry is to occupy and possess what's on the other side. I know that sounds real simple, but it's sad to see how many believers never get past entry. It's like going into a restaurant, beautiful restaurant. They got an amazing, you open up, how many have seen menus that look so good you could almost eat them? I mean, they just, you're reading this amazing menu and, and the pictures of the food. And, and, and it's like a lot of believers that their, their, their whole experience, you know, in, in Christ is just kind of going in and while just drooling over the menu and then walking out. Or how, how about how many have had that kind of craving late at night and you just got to find a burger, right? I just need a good burger and there's nothing. Cupboards are bare and you, you go out for a drive somewhere hoping to find the open sign. There it is. Burger joint. Open. As soon as you, you, op, you go into the, to the restaurant and the kitchen's closed. Isn't that an awful feeling? It's almost better that it wasn't. It was closed and being open and not being able to occupy and possess what's there. And um, so this is like a real big deal. And this is entry, occupation, and possess, possessing season for us. You know, there are seasons that we're in. And this is an entry season. This is an occupation and possession season. It's a real big deal. And, and here's something cool. The book of Joshua... We're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Joshua. Is a God-inspired, timeless operations manual for entering to occupy and possess. Did you know the primary theme of the book of Joshua is that? It's to enter, it's to occupy, and it's to possess what's there. You know, it's interesting, Joshua in the Hebrew is Yeshua. Well, the Greek of Yeshua is Isus, which is Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is the decoder. Joshua is the decoder for how to enter, how to occupy and possess. It really is. It's a treasure map and a decoder for how we step in and, and, and possess that promised land. Go in and receive that pasture that's before us. And so we're going to just look at a couple of these. And, and when we read, and I've, I know I've said this before, we, 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 often don't, we often read the book like a history book. 
You know what I'm saying? We're reading about someone else. This is about us. This is about you. You're in the book. You're in the book. This isn't about Joshua. This is about you. This is about us. You're on the page. He had you in mind when, he, when, when, these, when these authors were inspired to write. God had your life in mind. So it's not just historical principles that we maybe yes, maybe no. This is a letter. This is a decoder. This is a treasure map. This has your name and address and blood type all over it. And I could, I could say more, but I'm, that clock's looking at me. So we, we, need to, we need to step in. What's interesting in the first verse, first two verses. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. You know what's interesting about that statement? Did you know that the first recorded words that God that we have from God to Joshua are Moses, my servant is dead. Those are the first. I mean, I'm not suggesting that God did not speak something else to Joshua. In fact, it's repeated. We have it here after the death of Moses. I mean, Scripture is trying to make a significant point that Moses is dead. This is, not, this is not by chance. This is not random. This is not accident. Every word has divine intention behind it. Every word is loaded with revelation, with inspiration and activation for your life. This has purpose. Moses, my servant, is dead. Think about that. That's the preface for a whole lot more to come. That's a context for the content to come. You know, content... Without context is a recipe for disaster. But when you have content in context, you get intent. And so this is the preface. It's, it's, it's amazing. This statement, the very first words. And, and here's what we have to realize. This has nothing to do with diminishing the role or the contribution of Moses. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. In fact, um, Graduate school does not diminish undergraduate degree. Or university does not diminish the significance of high school. In fact, implicit in a successful college season or university season is a successful high school season. Right? So it's not about diminishing Moses. But, it's, but what it does highlight is the necessity of some new thoughts, some new behaviors, some new processes, and some new structures. Whenever we, whenever we camp around what's meant to be built upon, we become managers of monuments rather than carriers of the kingdom. Whenever we build around or camp around what's meant to be built upon, we become managers of monuments rather than carriers of the kingdom. We, we sustain the status quo rather than, uh, rather than steward uh, the better tomorrow. And so, that's, what we're, that's what's going on here. Now, notice, Moses, my servant, is dead is the preface to... 
Now arise and cross the Jordan. That's, that's what it's closest to. That is a preface statement to a lot of direction that's coming now from God to Moses. I mean, from God to Joshua. Now, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise and cross this Jordan. Interesting that Joshua certainly remembered a crossing that was 40 plus years earlier. It was the kind of crossing you would never forget. It was so sensational. It was so powerful. It was so amazing that I guarantee it was written deeply into the psyche and the memory of Joshua. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea? I guarantee he remembered big Moses, big staff, raised his staff, reached out his arm, separated the waters. He remembered that. He would not have forgotten that. Well, it represents how God will use the callings, uh, the gifts, uh, the anointings, the life experiences of others to bring us out of bondage. Yeah. Thank God for that. And even bring us into realms of breakthrough, dimension of breakthrough, degrees of breakthrough. Right? It does represent that. that God will, have, will anoint someone. There's a gift. There's a grace. There's an experience. There's wisdom. I mean, we've been born again because of someone ministering to us, bringing the gospel. There are degrees of breakthrough and healing that you've received through a gift and the grace and the anointing of another. But something as wonderful as that has a very strong gravity to it. It really has a strong gravity and can easily become a default setting. Good things become defaults in our memory bank. Oh, I remember how we did it. Let's do it that way again. This is where so many of us can get stuck. This is where so many believers can get stuck. It's where we become gift-centered, consumer-minded, rather than present-centered and kingdom-minded. And a large portion of the church is exactly that gift-centered and consumer-minded, rather than present-centered and kingdom-minded. Moses, my servant, is dead means it's great for breakthrough, but it will not get you into promise. You will never possess your promise because of the gift of another. You will never possess the land. You will never go out and find your pastures simply because of the gifts and the graces and the mantles and the ministries of others around you. But for Joshua and for us, it's a whole lot better. What was the model? How did they cross the Jordan? Did Joshua raise his big stick? Now, did he stand on the edge and the outskirts and apply his anointing? And we're not diminishing the significance of that. But that's not the way they crossed into promise. How do they cross? It was the priests. A plurality of priests, a partnership of priests, 
a community of priests who were holding up what? Not their stick or their staff or their ministry or their organization, but the Ark of the Covenant. And as soon as their feet were in the river, their waters ceased to flow. Not on the edge. Not on the outskirts, but I mean in the journey. And we are a royal priesthood. Read First Peter chapter 3 or chapter 2. Revelations 5, we are a kingdom and priests. How are we going to cross over and possess promise? It's going to be the priesthood of every believer in community that it raising up one thing, the centrality of His presence and His finished work. Lifting up anything else as a primary focus will never get us there. We will have fun, but we will wander. Being rescued by one miracle, one gift, one event after another. Rather than going in to the pastures, to the, to the promises that Jesus paid for. Every Hebrew would have to pass through this new model. Every Hebrew would watch that. They all walked by and saw that model. All of them had that emblazoned upon their memory. No longer is it Big Mo's. The Big Mo. No longer Big Mo. It's our priestly, our, our connection, our hotline to heaven. You've got to have a hotline to heaven in community. This hot, every one of us, lit up like a Christmas tree, connected to God, hearing His voice, ministering to Him in community, raising up one primary focus, the centrality of His presence and His finished work. You're part of a, a spiritual family. You're part of a body that thinks like that. So that's good news. That's good news. In fact, this is such a big deal. This is such a big deal. This, this new picture, this new uh, conviction, this new process is such a big deal. Do you know the very next thing that God commanded Joshua to do after they crossed the river? Do you know what it was? Circumcision. Uh-huh. whole bunch of buddies got cut. Yeah. That's right. The very next thing. The, that ought to tell you something. That ought to tell you how important that was. The very next thing Joshua was commanded to do after they crossed the Jordan was to circumcise all the dudes. In fact, there was so much circumcision, they named the place Gibeath Haraloth, which means Hill of the Foreskins. <laughs> That's a lot of skin. Now, why is that so important? And it is important. It wasn't about hygiene. 
What is, I'm not saying that might not help, but that's not the point. What's the issue with circumcision? Well, Genesis 27, the circumcision was the reminder of covenant. It was the reminder of I'm with you, present centeredness, my finished work. God had every male put a a mark on themselves as a reminder somewhere they would see every day. In fact, something they would see more than one time a day. And the older you get, you see it a lot. (laughs) No, No, there's no place on a man's body he sees more than that. Unless you're looking in the mirror all the time. It's the remind. He put a mark in a place. So we, why, do you, why do you think David, when he came to the battle, and he said, who's the uncircumcised guy? Was that trash talk? Was that male bravado? No, he was saying he doesn't have covenant. He doesn't have the finished work. God's not with him. How powerfully important and significant this is. It's like a real big deal. Like a real big deal. Okay, I'll, I'll I better move on. My wife's shaking her head. She always gets, she's just jealous. <laughs> Have you ever considered, think about it like this. Have you ever considered why Moses did not get into the promised land? Now, some of you know the reason, but it still just does not seem right. I mean, Big Mo should have gone in. But you know, and he was, and he did not, he was not allowed to go in because it seemed like just a simple, just a, a moment, just some mild mistake. And it wasn't. And, and if you think about it, in, in, in Exodus 17, he was commanded to strike the rock and water would come out. For all the thirsty Israelites, remember? And then in Numbers 20, they were once again without water. And God said, speak to the rock. But Moses did what? He struck the rock. Absolutely. Think about Now, it seems a bit, and that was the reason God said, okay, Moses, you're not getting in. It seems a bit harsh. But we need to understand what this is reflecting. And we see this a lot in Moses' behavior. But... As amazing as Moses was, he got stuck in how things were done rather than yielding to what God is doing. He got stuck in how it was done rather than yielding, having the flexibility and the suppleness of your faith to do what God is doing. And we see this pattern with Moses. Remember, in, in fact, it's in Numbers 21, the, the Israelites were getting bitten by snakes. And he, and he carves out, he creates a bronze serpent, a place focus of faith, and whoever looked at the bronze serpent would be healed. Well, guess what? He kept it around. He kept it around so long, it was only hundreds of years later that Hezekiah, under Hezekiah's leadership, that he destroyed because it became an idol. They were camping around what they were meant to build upon. Did you know Moses never, off, never um, uh, circumcised during his leadership in, 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 in the wilderness. His own sons, his wife had to do it. There was just something. There, there was, he, listen, he, he, 
His heart was for the presence of God, but he got stuck. And he battled a lot with fear. The unwillingness, the inability to be able to steward those new ideas and revelations. And it's not just about a couple of gifts, but it's about all of us. Anyway, then in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, the next, the very next thing God says, He says this, the very next thing He says is, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you. Now, a lot of Christians just believe, if I just show up and walk around, but after a while, you realize that's not enough. See, we think we're just... And, and, and that's why people look at that and they, they show up and they walk around and nothing happens, so they figure that must not be true. But it doesn't say just show up and walk around. It says every place the sole of your foot treads. The sole of your foot. That word sole is the hollow or the arch of your foot. That that word literally is the same word given to archangels. It speaks about strength. When you show up with strength, when you walk in certain strength, that will be yours. That's what that means. As I said, this is a decoder. It's about showing up with specific strength. And, and, and it's reaffirmed um, over several times in verse 6, 7, and 9. Remember? God says to, to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Then in ver- That's verse 6. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. And then in verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? It's showing up with strength. There's a specific strength that you, that you walk in in order to occupy and possess. And just before I give you what that strength is, okay? Just before I do, I've got to highlight this. Verse 4. Verse 4, and he says, and, and he gives the big picture. He gives this broad strokes, amazing big picture from the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. God gives no details, no focus on, on, on other relevant specifics. Think about that. I mean, He just gives this very big picture. And, and it's interesting, unlike Moses, Joshua um, doesn't request more details about the commission. Remember, 40 years earlier, Moses, man, he was... He says, man, what if, what, well, what if they ask me about you? What do I say? And, and what if they don't believe me? And I'm not a good speaker. And he just kept going, trying to get more information and more details. In fact, God got mad at him, got irritated with him. You know, it says. We see something very, very different here. See, um, Moses tried to alleviate his fear by knowing all the details. And the only way to alleviate fear is to trust God. Because if you're not trusting God, your faith is going to go in the wrong direction, and that equals fear. Fear is faith in the wrong direction. That's all it is. You never stop believing, ever. Ever. If you stop believing, you die. That is the most common activity to our human condition. We are believing something. And when your faith is in the wrong direction, it equals fear. 
And so Moses was trying to eradicate or alleviate his fear by getting all the details and all the information. And, and that's not what we find here with Joshua. Details and difficulties are important, but they must be processed in the atmosphere of design and destiny. Difficulties, details are important. I'm not saying you ignore them, but you deal with them. You govern them in the atmosphere of design and destiny. In other words, who you are, what you're made for, and what you're going. And all details and, and all the minutia has to line up with that fact. It's serving that reality. You deal with the details based on the non-negotiables. This is who I am. This is what I'm made for. And baby, this is where we're going with God. Yeah. That's how that works. We can get so hamstrung by details because we don't understand or we lose sight of the power of design, the power of identity. It's like, like I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a husband. And there are things, we make mistakes and things happen, but when I suddenly realize, wait, I'm your husband. And there's a grace and there's an anointing and there's a wisdom and there's a visitation from heaven. There's a support, you know, from heaven when I live according to my design. And some men forget that. They forget, no, no, you're a husband. And so you deal with issues and problems based on your design. No, I'm a father. Remember Robin Williams in, um, in Peter Pan, the Peter Pan Robin Williams? Wasn't that a great movie? Cool. Remember Hook? Oh, it's called Hook. Thank you. You know those things. I need the younger generation to remind me of stuff. Remember Hook? He didn't know he was Peter. He forgot. And as soon as he realized, as soon as he had his happy thought back, see, that's why joy is important. Happy thoughts help you connect with identity. Laughter brings you closer to the true nature of who you are in God than anything else. It's a big deal. <laughs> in fact, in fact, let me just give you another interesting thought. Did you know that our lives are not judged by a standard of moral behavior? That's religion. That's what religion does. Measures your life by another standard of moral behavior. Your behavior is not wrong in comparison to another standard of behavior. Behavior is wrong in comparison to your nature. It's not your design. It's not what God made you to be. It's against your purpose and your makeup. That's what makes it wrong. Not because there's some moral standard out here. And when you understand identity and nature, it makes you so much more powerful for dealing with your own issues. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's another, another message. Anyway, but now what is the nature of that strength that we show up with? And I've got to give this to you in ten minutes. What is the nature of that strength that we show up with? And we find it in verse 6, 7, and 9. We do. In those verses where he says, be strong and courageous, he's highlighting the nature of that strength. The first one is, you shall give this people possession. That's a big deal. You will give this people possession. 
and I say this with all due respect, I really do, although we can have the best of intentions, a lot of leadership style and structure is fear-based and creates a culture of dependency. A lot of our leadership style and structure is very fear-based and it creates a culture of dependency. We're so busy telling people what God is saying that they don't ever think they need to hear God for themselves. We're so busy creating things. Leaders are so busy creating things for people to do. They never have a sense about creating things for themselves. People are supposed to have possession, ownership, your name's on it. Your address, where you live, it's on the journey. And the title deed for property is labor. You can't own it till you labor with it. In fact, I call this living vicariously through spiritual surrogacy. Living vicariously through spiritual surrogacy. Someone else is pregnant with it. Someone else carries the weight of it. Someone else gives birth to it. Well, then it's never yours. We're called to be stewards and owners, not slaves and renters. Yeah. As a leader, I am called to cultivate an atmosphere where anything can grow, but I am not supposed to grow everything. We are. We are. Create an atmosphere and environment where your faith steps up and gets in the game. Yeah. That's the kingdom culture. That's the apostolic environment. That's when we live like the body of Christ and not just an assortment of limbs. That's when we look like the bride of Christ and not the bride of Frankenstein. In verse 7 and 8, we have be careful to do. We have it twice. We have it stated twice. Be careful to do. This This is just, this is graduation time. This is you get to drive the car time, okay? This is like you get your posting. You get your promotion. That's what this is. Be careful to do. I love this. This is understanding the power of your decision. Understanding how powerful your will is. Pop psychology has elevated emotions to some irresistible force. Or circumstances as some irresistible force. Or other people as some irresistible force. Or relationships as an irresistible force. There is, we've got to understand the difference between correlation and cause. You know a lot of people don't know the difference. There's a difference between correlation and cause. There is a correlation between me being hungry and eating. But that's not the cause of me eating. Being hungry never caused me to eat. A decision to eat is the only thing that causes me to eat. That's it. We've got to get that, how powerful. Your free will is a transcendent force. The enemy wants you to buy. The enemy does not have an almighty arsenal, but he's got a massive amplifier. It always feels so much harder. Somehow, that, and you're, did you know that your will is the, is the greatest person, the greatest, per, your free will is your personal greatest evidence that you are designed to live from heaven to earth. That you can make a choice contrary to any conditions. Nothing else in creation can do that. 
Nature can't do that. The animals, it's all instinct and natural forces. We're the only thing in creation that can make a choice opposite to the conditions around us. One of the best evidences we can live from heaven to earth. Circumstances don't have a final say. Yes, they, they have correlation. They have effect. But your decision is so much more powerful than you realize. Faith is so much more powerful than you realize. Because heaven backs it up. Heaven supports that. It's amazing. And then in verse 8, something else is added to the repeat. The repeat of be careful to do what is it? This shall not depart from your mouth. This word shall not depart from your mouth. We live in a word-activated universe. Anybody notice? What happens? Yeah, you're, what happens when? I mean, I mean, you don't get saved without words. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. What happens when you speak? You release breath. Speaks of your life. Your life is invested. It's getting behind your words. This is such a big deal. The faith movement in the 70s and 80s, they repaved a roadway of revelation called power of the tongue. Hagen, Copeland, Seville, Norval Hayes, uh, Charles Capps. Unfortunately, some people fell into ditches on either side, causing so many people to reject it. It's a methodology. You know what I'm saying? On one side, it becomes a method. On the other side, it idolatries personal faith. Uh, it turned personal faith as the central focus. It's all about your faith rather than, no, it's all about where your faith goes in Him. And so because people fell into those ditches, a lot of people just jettisoned the revelation. And you don't want to do that. What do you share? What do you declare? What's coming out of your mouth? Heaven and hell is, is listening to that. It's a big deal. God wants us to partner with His very nature. He declares it. He says it. He does it. It releases it. It's a real big deal. It's, and I'm not saying don't, uh-oh, be careful. Don't say a wrong thing. That, that's, see, that was the other thing. People realized something's going on here. I, I just say I've got a problem and I'm just condemned. And That's not what we're talking about. It's like the difference between, um, remember when the armies of Israel came uh, to Goliath, and they said, man, have you seen this big dude? I mean, he is going to defy all of us. And David said, well, who's the uncircumcised guy? He spoke about Goliath. He identified him, but only long enough to take aim. We want to recognize, yes, there's an enemy. There's a giant. There's a fiery furnace. There's some crud out there. But there's a bigger context called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What he paid for, what he did, who he says I am. This is like a big deal. You are a lot more powerful and bigger than you have any idea. So what are you sharing? What are you declaring? Look at that. Make sure it lines up with the bigger story. And I'll just end with this. Verse 9. Because my time's up. And I can see, I see Doug on the edge of his seat. Ready to pounce. He says, I'm, I'm with you wherever you go. Once again, it's the everywhereness of his thereness. The everyone, 
everywhere and all the time kingdom. It is annihilating the dualism that has infected the church. Where we create hierarchies of spirituality. Where somehow, it, you know, it's, it's, it's in this building and during worship or, when, or doing uh, or Bible school or some anointed encounter. It's wonderful. And, but what happens is we allow our level of God awareness to determine where God is and what God does. Thank God for your level of God awareness, but thank God your level of God awareness does not determine what He does and where He goes. He is wherever faith is. In fact, He's there before faith is there. He's already arrived. He's already filled all things. He said, but you, I'm in such a tough, difficult place. Listen, if you find yourself in a dark place, remember God got there first and created a universe. In a universe where our galaxy is but a speck, God knows exactly where you are. Fear is only valid where God is absent. But in relationship to your life, no such place exists. Yeah. Yeah. It's entry... Occupation and possession time. And God's not going to, you know what? God is not going to go back and relate to us in a lesser way. When my kids, you know, when they were kids, I related to them as children. But now they're grown-ups. They're adults. Guess what? We're not going back. Sorry, dude. No. No, 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 no. Sorry. It's your turn. Really? You are a lot more grown up than you realize. That's because you've got an enemy that tries to diminish the significance of who you are and whose you are. Yeah. You're going to love a city into the kingdom. Do you, re- you know that? Because how do, what are you talking about? That's Wesley. Do you realize that God created a planet and started with two people? You think God knew how big the world was? Because that is our capacity in Him. That's our design. That's our wiring. That's really who we are. That's who you are. And there's stuff that's marked just for your life. Yeah. And you're right. We could, as a, as a church body, as a leadership team... We could take you back to just, let's just kind of take care of the babies. You know, let's just make everybody feel nice and comfortable and safe. You know, and you could do that. But you would be the most frustrated people on the planet. Why? Because of your level of understanding, the, the level of revelation, what's being, what you're aware of in your own life. You know, discouragement disappointment, disillusionment is proportional to the distance between, um, between, uh, um, between um, expectation and reality. And the wider the gap, the more frustrated and discouraged you'll, ever, you'll be. See, the expectation level is pretty high because of the way you connect with God, the way you connect with one another. And it's these very simple but yet very challenging decisions Make that an utter reality for, for all of us. It's not complicated. It's actually quite simple, Wayman, but it's not easy. 
It's not easy. Yeah, let's pray. Father, I well, thank you so much for, yeah, thank you so much for Harvest Renewal. This community of believers, I, I even hesitate to use the name because even that tends to have maybe a branding or just sort of a very narrow identity. These are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Blood-bought, blood-washed, the apex of your creation. <laughs> Absolutely locked and loaded. And they are been aimed by your Spirit, by divine design, to hit the mark of destiny, of freedom. These, this right, angels are watching their lives. These powerful beings that can just wipe out thousands of people at one time. These powerful beings that are in the presence of God are just standing in, in service to these heirs of salvation. Father, I just want to break every bit of, every in, in, thought of insignificance and small-mindedness and inferiority. Lord, we, just, we are going to just, just absolutely annihilate those lies. Yeah, right here, your sons and daughters in every part of the city. You have, you have chosen to, to reach a city by reaching these sons and daughters. The promises, the pastures you have for them. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray the revelation of what I shared would go from their, from their head to their heart. Fill every part of their being. This leadership team, these servant leaders, Lord, stewarding, not just sustaining status quo, but stewarding the better tomorrow. Yeah. This priestly ministry, this passion for Jesus in community, lifting up a reminder present centeredness in your finished work. That's this house. The men and women you brought into this place. This house on Sunday is merely a celebration of bringing the kingdom everywhere Monday through Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to do things in such a way. They're going to live things in such a way that people are going to have to look up to heaven to explain it. Because they know there's nothing natural that can be doing this. God is alive in their midst. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Fit this for them. Make it fit like a, a well-made suit. A well-tailored outfit. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. God believes in you. God believes in you. You got to hear that. It's not just... Jesus never requires of us what He doesn't require of Himself. Do you know He has faith?
every diminished picture over their lives. Yeah. Ah. Lord, let them see.